Hey, glad you can make it. And welcome to the Employee Cycle Podcast, where we talk to HR innovators, thought leaders, and even some disruptors about the latest in HR trends, HR tech, and you guessed it, HR data. Well, you've heard enough of me talking. Now let's start the show, 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 show. Hey, hey, welcome back to the Employee Cycle Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Marable, CEO of Employee Cycle. And you know us, we're that easy to share, easy to use, easy to set up HR dashboard. That's right. All you do is connect your different HR systems, Bamboo, Namely, ADP, Zenefits, Greenhouse, 15.5, Lattice, whatever you're using to the dashboard to pull in all your data. So you could be that badass, awesome, amazing data-driven HR leader tracking, viewing, sharing, and analyzing all your data in one place. Go to EmployeeCycle.com. We would love to get a demo on the books and explore how we can partner to automate your HR reporting and analytics process. But that's enough about me and our company, because today we have a great second-time guest and great friend on the show. Please help me welcome Anna Greenwald, the founder and CEO of On The Goga. And today we're discussing... What does wellness look like from here? Anna, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so used to walking into rooms and people just start clapping. So thank you for making me feel at home, Bruce. You're welcome. That was a wellness clap. (laughs) (laughs) No, I really couldn't be more excited to be here and to talk to you about this Um, and to talk to your awesome listeners. Awesome. So Anna... I'm pretty sure that a lot of people heard this whole background story, origin story, the first time you were on the show. But for all of those who missed it, we need to kick off the show the best way we know how. And that's by asking you, how did you end up in the wonderful world of HR? That is a great question. I will, of course, give you the high-level overview here, the key bullet points. But honestly, I, like many people that I work with, a lot of our clients, a lot of incredible people in HR... I did not necessarily think I was going to be in the HR industry, um, even 10 years ago. Uh, I came in through the wellness side of the industry. Actually, my initial job uh, on the wellness side was as a yoga instructor and a mindfulness coach. And through working with clients at corporations and companies of all shapes and sizes, from 10-person nonprofits to Fortune 100 companies... Over the years, um, I really came to specialize in how do we take these practices of well-being, whether that's the research, whether that's these really practical applications of how to live life a little bit happier, a little bit healthier, and finding ways to implement those in organizations to build stronger, more effective teams. And now, on the Goga um, is a tech company that's really helping to solve this problem at scale by helping organizations to build the framework for a wellness program that makes sense in this future of work that we are all living in. We have become the Jetsons. We're here. It's happening. And so we try to make that easier for teams. Welcome to the next or welcome to the tech world. And when we have our next tech founder convention, (laughs) we will be sure to welcome you. Absolutely. I remember, you know, I think this was even like five, six years ago, I talked to someone and they said, you don't start a company today and it's not a tech company. And um, I'm learning that that's not actually true. The tech industry and bringing HR into the tech industry and figuring out how to make tech work 
in this human environment is really niche. And HR tech companies need to put in a lot of hard work to understand how do we use technology to scale, but keep people at the forefront of our day-to-day and our mission. I like it. I like it. So, Anna, today we're talking about what does wellness look like from here? And before we go into the future, how we can make it better, what does it look like as we are sort of kind of coming out of slash maybe past the pandemic in this weird way, we first need to talk about what is wellness? What is well-being? What is this whole thing? This is a huge industry. A lot of companies are jumping into it. A lot of people are slapping this label on their product and or service. But if you could help us define wellness, well-being in the workplace, what is this? Such a good question. And I think that we could spend all day debating a single definition of well-being. But at the end of the day, whether we're talking about an individual or we're talking about an organization, well-being is the system's the practices, the habits, the actions that foster our own sense of fulfillment, health, and joy, and success over time. And I think that that is very true on the individual level. And my focus is really helping people understand that that same principle is true on the organizational level. So when we talk about organizational well-being at On The Goga, we are talking about a combination of policies and practices and resources that create a day-to-day experience for humans, which I like to say employees, leaders, those are just funny words for humans, but create this day-to-day experience for humans that help them to prioritize their life experiences. And we see through the research that employees that are happy and healthy and fulfilled and feel cared for, they make more sales. They cross, they function better across department, they innovate more. Um, and so it really comes down to what are the systems and policies that you have in place that help people feel like they can prioritize their own health, joy, and personal fulfillment. Awesome. And let me ask this in a different way What is not wellness <laughs> or what is not well being? It's such a good question. And I mean, I don't think there's one right answer to that, but I will tell you the conversation that we are having over and over and over again with clients is that, and anybody who's listening to this right now in the HR tech industry will absolutely, or in the HR industry will absolutely know what I'm saying. We had old school wellness. We had the onsite gyms. We had the gym reimbursements. We had the smoking cessation. God forbid we had a weight loss challenge, right? And This is what we used to think of when we used to think of wellness. We used to think of this very narrow band of practices and policies that were designed theoretically to minusculely improve the physical health of employees with the concept that this is going to save our business a ton of money. And I have been in this industry for over seven years. Since I started, the research was coming out and saying, this is not... A, making people feel cared for, not really improving their sense of overall well-being, which we on we at On The Go-Go understand that well-being crosses a ton of different pillars. We use five general categories, physical, emotional, social, financial, and environmental. Some people add purpose, some people add spiritual or career, but these old school wellness programs, the whole pitch was do this and you're going to save money. 
this isn't true. And it's really not helping organizations capitalize on the real value of treating people well, which is what we call future of work well-being. This is understanding that things like providing your employees with flexibility, providing your employees with different working options, making sure that diversity, equity, inclusion are values that are practiced on a daily basis throughout your organization, providing mental health support, providing comprehensive benefits, providing resources for people to care for their different lifestyles, life events, while being across these different pillars. That type of scaffolding of a wellness program creates an organizational culture that can set you apart. And that's the new business case for well-being. It's not measured by bottom line, how much money are we saving on our healthcare premiums? It's measured by impact. What impact are we having on the long-term value of this company by putting the same effort into our employee experience that we put into our customer experience? I really like that comprehensive and detailed explanation that provided a lot of great context. All right, so we want to talk about where's wellness going from here Is there anything else that you need to share with our audience in regards to the baseline of where we are today? Or basically what you just summed up is some sort of hybrid sense of what wellness looks like today in most companies? Yeah. So I feel like what I've talked to so far is kind of very cerebral. It's very heady. It's very hypothetical. It's this idea that how we think about wellness fundamentally needs to shift From a business strategy perspective, we need to be thinking about KPIs like recruitment, retention, cross-functional collaboration, individual employee lifetime value, right? These are the types of KPIs we need to be striving for. So that's kind of the aspirational element of it. When we're thinking about what does it mean to build and implement a wellness program in the future, we really need to take a step back and start to notice the difference between resources right? A resource would be, oh, we offer Headspace at our organization, or, oh, we offer this, I don't know, Peloton app. Or I had a, a, a group the other day that was like, we sent all of our employees a pair of Allbird sneakers so that they could commute to work as we're asking them to return to the office, right? Those are resources. And those are part of creating an awesome benefit culture, right? But we also need to be thinking about policies, our we really focusing on building and implementing and backing up, like not just talking the talk, but walking the walk of having inclusive policies of building more diverse organizations of creating psychologically safe environments, giving people opportunities to improve in their career. So we've got resources, we've got policies. And then the piece where we see a lot of people missing the mark is actually in the communication and the implementation. Because you can have the best policies in the world. You can have the most amazing benefits package. But if you are not creating a simple way to show people, here are the resources you have, and here's the explicit way that we are giving you to access them, that's where you're really not going to build that culture over time. So that's really where we focus on helping companies succeed. And our platform helps companies do this, right? You can create your very own kind of like wellness and culture hub where employees can access resources and attend remote events and access all this different content, look at your policies, but also see what are my benefits and ask questions and all of that. So 
we really focus on helping HR teams understand how do we want to communicate this and how do we want to get people seeing this every single day? Hey, this is the benefit that is given to you by working at the company. Here are all the different ways that your life is going to improve. And we want you to be, you know, seeing that and experiencing it every day. So resources, policies, and how we communicate and implement this. Those are really the key factors to creating a wellness program for the future of work. As I think about how many companies try to get things like wellness incorporated into their business, but they don't really have a good plan to create a great use case or business case to get the buy-in and the budget that they need, how would you explain or how would you help any HR leader that's listening today go about getting the buy-in and or the budget if those are two different things from their leadership team around wellness? Because some leaders, I mean, I hope not after the pandemic, no one should be thinking that employees can benefit from this, but I'm sure that there are some people still out there thinking this might be a waste of time, money, and resources. So how would you go about helping and empowering an HR leader to go about getting buy-in and budget around a wellness plan? Such a good question. And I'll tell you, I will put all my cards on the table and tell you my exact strategy. I ask senior leaders and our team asks senior leaders, what are your key organizational priorities? And I have not talked to a single team within the last two years that hasn't said that recruitment and retention is a key priority. And when we look at the research, we can see that people just do not feel that they are getting paid enough to deal with the amount of burnout that they're experiencing at work, right? And so we can start by asking leaders, what are the things you already care about? And then this is where that shift from old school to new school really happens. Like, we have to internalize that what wellness is really doing for us is it's creating a different way of approaching every aspect of work. One kind of correlation I talk about a lot here is I think it's really funny that we have one HR department for an entire organization. People forward, progressive HR organizations they have people operations functions spread throughout the entire organization. You'll have that function, uh, whether it's a leadership trainer or someone who's responsible just for people management within a sales team or whatever the case is, people functions throughout the organization. And that's really how progressive companies are thinking about wellness. They're not thinking about, this is my wellness program and these are the three workshops that we do every year. They're thinking, how do we take this idea that people perform better when they feel psychologically safe, when they feel mentally well, when they feel physically capable. How do we take this understanding and thread it through every aspect of work? So you go to the leadership and you say, what are your key priorities? And then you use the research and the data to explain, if we focus on well-being, we can help to address things like burnout. We can help to address things like retention. Now, this is really the key, the secret. If your leadership comes back and they're like, all right, well, how much are we going to increase retention over the next year due to our wellness program? A good data scientist is going to look at you and say, that's a bad question because there's so many different aspects and variables that go into this. But what a really good data scientist would do is they're going to look at you and they're going to say, let's figure out where we're at and figure out where we want to go to start moving the needle. So in the first year of programming with all of our clients, our customer success team works with clients to understand 
where are we at? Where are the trust levels in the organization? What are the amount of resources we have? What is the interest that we have? How much does our interest match the resources that we're offering? How many opportunities are we giving people every month to connect outside of their normal work routines? We start collecting this baseline information. And I always say for every company, pitch this to your leadership as year one goal. We are going to figure out what the heck baseline is, right? Once you have that figured out, you can set your own relative benchmarks for where you want to make impact. You can say, hey, look, it seems like one of the big problems that we found in our first year is that no one on the customer support team ever comes to any of our workshops or team outings or events because they're just so slammed with workload. Now, this is going to help you to pick better wellness benefits for that group, maybe something more asynchronous, like a wellness challenge or a better mental health benefit or something like that. But it's also going to help you to give that information back to leadership to say, through our wellness program, we have identified a bandwidth issue in our customer success team. And if we can optimize efficiency there, not only is it going to help uh, on with our customer success KPIs, but it's probably going to help with our burnout um, within that department. And you can measure that over time. So I always like to say, use the first year to collect benchmark data. And then when you go back to your leadership, help them understand that the type of data you're going to be returning to them is we've uncovered these challenges throughout the organization through the lens of our wellness program. And that's really how progressive and successful wellness programs are operating right now. What if some of the HR leaders listening don't have the skills to translate what they're seeing in the workforce into a compelling story to get that buy-in? Well, and the reason why I'm asking that is, uh, (laughs) I was going to say, call on the Goga and employee cycle. (laughs) We'll help you out. No, seriously, though, go ahead. Uh, You know, it's interesting as I talk to so many different HR leaders. I mean, we're three hundred and fifteen or twenty podcast episodes in now, and it's interesting how you hear the confidence with some HR and people leaders going into that space really making a compelling argument for what they need. But then there's a lot of HR leaders that still struggle with trying to make this business case. And I think it's worth further diving into because wellness for some companies can be seen as a nice to have versus, oh, well, we actually have to give them health insurance or, well, we have to pay people. Whereas wellness is, ah, you know, do people need these other things that they probably could get by with, or maybe we just throw them some cash and say, go figure it out on your own. So I'm, I'm really curious to see what do you have to say if an HR leader could just jump onto the show right now and say, hey, I'm really struggling here. <laughs> could you help me better articulate how to create the story? Yeah, I mean, I'll start with a really practical tool that is an underutilized tool when it comes to understanding where HR in general can make an impact. And that is actually exit surveys. So a lot of the most valuable data that on the GoGa can get from a client is exit survey data. Why are people leaving your organization? So if you're an HR person, start if you don't already have an exit interview process, start one. Even if it's something as simple as an open forum, a couple of questions about 
what are the key reasons that you are leaving your job? Is there anything we could have done differently? And you will start to uncover a lot of information about leadership styles, right? Which is a form of challenge that can be addressed through a wellness program by teaching leaders human-centered leadership. At On The Go-Go, we have a proprietary model called wellness-based leadership, which is teaching leaders to better understand and increase their own self-awareness and also increase their ability to work productively with others, which can do things like decreasing burnout, increasing empathy, increasing positive relationships between work managers and their direct reports. So you might uncover that there's a real need for human-centered leadership development, which from our perspective, is absolutely part of your wellness program, uh, especially when we're thinking about it, right, in this new lens. And if you're sitting there being like, that's part of my wellness program, right? This is the new way to think about wellness is the wellness of your organization, organizational well-being. How are people feeling at all areas? So collect that exit survey data and use that to better understand where people are leaving your organization. And the data's right there. It costs up to 200% of somebody's salary to replace them. So the easiest business case is, all right, leader, let's say that we keep two people at $100,000 salary. We could be saving up to $400,000 by implementing this wellness program. And so, yeah, I think it's okay if we spend 50K for the entire company. Because if we keep two people we're already making that up, right? So that's that's just one very practical way. But I think ultimately it comes back to understanding how deeply wellness runs through these different organizational practices and being able to communicate that value to leadership. Nice, nice. I'm sure there are a lot of HR leaders listening, thanking <laughs> you for that. All right, so we're going to go into a future predictions round. Lightning round to get your rapid response to some of these questions about wellness. Are you ready? I'm so ready. All right. In the future, will there be a chief wellness officer? Interesting question. Okay, lightning round. No, I think that CHROs and chief people officers or chief experience officers, though, will have a seat at the table. And I think we'll understand that wellness is a fundamental part of your people ops strategy. Okay. The same way that HR is now transitioning into the name around people ops, people in culture, people experience, will wellness have the same name or will it be called something different in the future? I think wellness will look like a core value of an organization that's threaded through multiple aspects of what we do. But I mean, I could list off a whole bunch of different names that I've heard people say, there's well-being, there's whole being, there's experience, all of this stuff. At the end of the day, it's the lens we're looking through at every system and policy. Um, and I think that we'll keep using the word wellness. We'll also use other words and it will cease to be one category, one facet and more a way we approach everything that we do. Will employees start to ask, what is your well-being strategy when they're looking to get hired at a company? Actually, that's already happening. So um, a recent study by Deloitte showed that 86% of employees rated well-being as very important to an organization's success. So employees are already onto this. Check check that box. Will wellness force more companies to be remote, hybrid, or in-person? Uh, absolutely remote and hybrid. The reality is that 
these flexible working options are one of the top four reasons that people are choosing different jobs. And a huge part of that is because it helps with mental health and an increased feeling of work-life balance. So this is actually, to me, one of the most exciting things about wellness is that employees are customers and employers are brands. And if you have the sexiest, most attractive brand, just like any other part of your organization, that's where people are going to go. And those are the organizations that people are going to want to land at. It's less about being remote or being hybrid or being in person. It's about the flexibility to choose. Last question of the lightning round. Will there be standardized wellness metrics in the future? You know, it's a great question. I think we will be able to get a lot better at measuring some of these nuances as things like employee cycle continue to become part of the business strategy conversation. But I think that one of the the nuances of wellness that makes truly amazing wellness programs successful is people understand that in well-being, there is both qualitative and quantitative data. And so the measurements and the types of data you're collecting for your team, if they're not unique, there's a problem with that. But yes, I think there will continue to be better, more standardized ways to measure pieces of this. And there will always need to be a custom element based on the organization. Anna, you've been such an amazing podcast guest again. <laughs> can't thank you enough. You went over so much stuff. You dropped so many wisdom bombs about <laughs> wellness and well-being and whole being and being your best self and all these things that are super awesome and really important. But if there was one thing that you would want our audience to remember and take away from this when it comes to wellness and making sure that their company has the best, most comprehensive and efficient and impactful wellness strategy at their company, what would it be? Have the confidence to walk in, to talk to senior leadership and let them know that the research shows that wellness is a key differentiator when it comes to successful company performance. This is true. It is backed up by so much data and increasing and increasing data. So you are holding one of the keys to organizational success. Walk into that room with confidence, bring the data, and let this be the revolution of what makes the workplace more human. Anna, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. As always, thank you for being on the Employee Podcast, on the Employee Cycle Podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to be here. Um, Yeah, and happy to to continue this conversation offline. You can follow us at On The Goga um, on LinkedIn, Instagram, all of the the grams. Um, And you can follow me on Instagram at Anna Greenwald underscore. So definitely reach out. I'd be so happy to continue the conversation. Awesome. And we'll be sure to include all of your contact info in the show notes. So for all of you great people listening to this episode, if you enjoyed it as much as Anna and I did making it, please leave us five star rating because if we are helping you with your well-being, our well-being matters too. We would love for you to tell us that we're doing great. Keep this thing moving in a circle. Also, if this was your very first time listening to our podcast and you either came here because you're already a huge mega super fan of Anna and you just had to hear what she was going to say, or you thought that the topic was super compelling, but now you're interested for more, please subscribe to the Employee Cycle Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other major podcast platforms. And last but not least, all of you super awesome HR and people leaders out there, please continue to hire, train, and retain the best workforce possible. Thanks. Later, kids.